get to learn about a new perspective on who the greatest coaches of all time are and some of the greatest NFL players of all time. Michael Lombardi, former NFL executive and player personnel director, strategist, and talking head, comes on to talk about his new book, Football Done Right, and some of the ways he would change the game and some of the greats that played it. Coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And listeners, we are in for a treat tonight. We are going to be talking about some football history by a gentleman that's wrote a book. Really needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him anyway this way because it's such a great resume. Uh, he has a very unique perspective on evaluate the legends of professional gridiron. He's been a part of some of the greatest teams and worked with some of the most influential people in the game's history. Michael Lombardi has worked as an NFL executive and strategist with the San Francisco 49ers of the 80s, the Cleveland Browns, Philadelphia Eagles, the Oakland Raiders, and the New England Patriots alongside NFL legends including Bill Belichick, Bill Walsh, and Al Davis. Michael Lombardi, welcome to the Pigpen. Thank you, Darren. I appreciate it. I love the picture behind you. Yeah. Yeah, we'll that, there, there was, the ball was not traveling very far in the air in that game. I can tell you that. No, that's an 1896 uh, Lafayette and Penn game where oh. Park H. Davis, a historian, was the coach of Lafayette, and he brought in a ringer named Fielding H. Yost, uh, who ended up coaching at Michigan. I love it. And that, that's the crowd behind it there, too. Are those fans in the stands there? Yeah, that was uh, Penn was on like a 21 game unbeaten streak, and they brought in that oh, ringer Lafayette, then they knocked him off. And I think, uh, Penn Quaker fans are still mad about that one hundred some years ago. <laughs> but we're not going to go back quite that far in football history. Now, uh, Michael, you wrote a book recently, and I'll, I'll let you introduce the, the book, and we'll give you an opportunity to do it again at the end and tell people where they can purchase it at. Well, I wrote a book called Football Done Right. It's a kind of a, uh, I would say it's a, uh, a love affair that I've had with football, and it's a way to describe some of the things that we're seeing today through the coaches that made this game great. Um, I talk about all the what I call the white oaks, which are the five coaching trees that I think the foundation of the league was built on. Uh, Then I give a criteria for what it should take to get into the Hall of Fame for a coach. Uh, And then I rank the top 10 coaches. And then I kind of take a journey through Uh, All the things that we love about the NFL, television, trades, the draft, and then ending it with the top 100 players of all time ranked 100 to one from different eras and try to tell a story about each player that may not be known uh, when the reader gets to it. So it's it's a book through the ages. It, It was a labor of love for me. It was the game through my eyes as how I see it. 
Yeah, that's uh, it's really fascinating because uh, you, you also put some of your own perspective and personal stories that maybe you had with some of these individuals. Uh, you know, like I know the Sid Gilman one, I thought that was kind of a funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, he was thinking, yeah. uh, you know, Vincent. Yeah, I can still hear him saying to Esther, Esther, I got Michael Lombardi on the phone and she would yell in the background, tell, tell your tell your uh, sister I said hello. And I'm like, I'm not that microphone. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And you also have some pop culture mixed in there too. Uh, you know, especially right in the beginning of the book, you're, you're talking about, you know, Shawshank Redemption to to get us into the White Oaks story, which I, I found that right. fascinating. Very connective to the reader, uh, for at least to this reader. I thought it was great. Oh, well, thank you. You did it. Yeah, so, I, I think to me, you know, the one, Darren, the one benefit that I've had in life has been when I started, I'm so old that I started when I started in the league you know we weren't quite as far as that pitcher but we only had 16 millimeter tape and so if you were a scout in the 60s 70s and the early 80s you had to write a report and in that report you had to describe a player to the person reading the report that they may never see until they see him that day when he shows up on campus and so you had to be very descriptive of the report because there was no way. Today, I could turn around here and I can watch every NFL game I want to watch, right? I could put it on. But then you couldn't. And so that helped me become a writer. That helped me become a writer and love writing, too. You talk about all these different uh, generations of football that you've experienced out in the NFL. And from the executive level on down, what are some of the things maybe that are challenging more to the uh, the general managers and the, the coaches today that maybe weren't so much in the 80s and vice versa? Well, I think the salary cap has a huge influence, right? And and the way that we've changed generationally, you know, when I grew up, it was always team first. Now we're in, we've got Instagram, we've got Twitter, you know, we have an eyes mentality and it's harder for the coach to bring together the team element to the game. I think that's the struggles that we get through to how do how does a player keep his individuality but yet blend into the team and not offend the team. I think that's really important. So, you know, I think that is and look, the game, look, the reason I I made Paul Brown the number one coach of all time in the book is because the game would not have advanced the way it advanced if coaches weren't full-time coaches. Because when when back when he was there, they were part time. They were selling insurance in the winter. They were you know teaching school. They were doing different things to support themselves. And when he said you're going to be a full time and it's a full time job, you're going to work this twenty four seven. All of a sudden, curiosity sets in, you know, and people start saying, okay, why don't we try this? Why don't we do that? And the game exploded. And that's how the trees really became something. I mean. One of the things college had the advantage over pro football was when Red Blake was coaching, you know, they were full time. They were West Point or a new or at the Dartmouth. Whereas in the pros, once the season was over, you went to go find a job. So that allowed more ingenuity to happen. Your White Oaks. I mean, I think you're you're spot on with this. And do you, do you mind if we we share with no, the, no, the, the book? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, you know Colonel Blake. Uh, Clark Shaughnessy, which I thought was a great pick. Of course, Paul Brown, Sid Gilman, and Bill Walsh. Now, those are some some yeah. great uh, trees. I think that, I think you're spot on with that. Well, I think you know you being a historian too, uh, you're more of a historian than I am. But I think to me, Shaughnessy is an unknown player in this whole game. I mean, you know, when Joe Burrow goes deposits his check, 
He doesn't even know who Clark Shaughnessy is, and the position of quarterback would have never existed without Clark Shaughnessy. The T formation comes in because of this brilliant man. It's a great story I tell in the book. You know, it's 19 – Shaughnessy could coach any anything. He could coach offense or defense, right? And he was a head coach, but he was an offensive mind. But one – a few years, he was a defense coordinator for the Bears. And they're getting ready to play the 49ers with Frankie Albert in the early 60s. And Frankie Albert had introduced uh, – no, I'm sorry, Red Hickey had introduced uh, the, the shotgun formation. And it was taking the league by storm. I think the 49ers were undefeated at the time. And the Bears were 3-1. and one. It was a big game early in the season. And Red Hickey had this shotgun. And Clark Shaughnessy, as the defense coordinator of the Bears, decided to double A-gap pressure the quarterback. Now, back in the early 60s, they did not have protections to handle that. So these guys, you know, there was man protection. I got you, you got me, right? You know, I'm going to block. But, when you, you know, who's the center block? If I block this guy, who blocks him? You know, they didn't have any rules. And Shaughnessy, literally, after that game, that was the end of the shotgun until Landry brought it back to create a way to block it from that inside pressure. So this was the brilliance of Shaughnessy. He was just a tactician and a strategist. And we wouldn't have the game we have today if it wasn't for him. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And you you explain it so well in there. And listeners, uh, you got to grab a copy of the book and, and listen to what Michael's saying in this because it really makes a lot of sense. And something else that I found extremely fascinating is your perspective on the criteria for putting coaches in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't know if it was intended just for the coaches. I know that's the section you talked on it. And yeah. I think I think that's really great. If maybe you could touch on some of those points. Well, I think it's unfair. You know, I think it's really been unfair for coaches to that, that, you know, like, for example, Marty Schottenheimer is this eighth winningest coach of all time. He coached 21 years in the league. He's got 200 wins. He's got a 61% winning percentage. Okay. There's only nine, there's only eight people out of the 521 coaches that have been called head coaches in the NFL or whatever the league was called before the American, uh, you know, that only eight have 200 regular season wins. If you're one of eight out of 521, you're an elite class. And if you're an elite class, you belong in the Hall of Fame. So that bothered me. You know, that really bothered me. Dan Reeves, he's got over 200 wins. He's got a 53%. He hired, you know, he took two different teams to Super Bowls and he can't get in. So for me, I wanted to, I, I think the problem, so my background's in, in personnel, right? But, you know, and everybody thinks finding talent is just you go out on the road and you look for talent. No, finding talent's about eliminating. So you have a criteria of what you want. That's my training. So I wanted to build a criteria for coaches that if you don't qualify for this, you can't even be in the conversation. And, you know, and so therefore there's no more debate. You have to have this winning percentage. You have to have this soup, you know. And so what I laid out were my criteria, and I put present-day coaches. I put coaches that are in the Hall of Fame, coaches that are in the Hall of Fame that don't meet the criteria. I put everybody in there so people could see it, you know, and understand it. And I don't think it was fair that, you know, George Allen's one Super Bowl appearance takes precedent over – what Dan Reeves did or what Marty Schottenheimer did, you know, I, I think to me that becomes really unfair. And I think if we're going to have an elite category, then we got to put people that, that do elite things in. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And you mentioned a couple other coaches too that are very deserving and Buddy Parker and, and George Seifert yeah. too, uh, you know, along with Schottenheimer and Reeves and Mike Holmgren too. I think you, you, you talked I, about. I mentioned Holmgren. I mean, Buddy Parker, you know, he won two titles with the, we would not have nickel defense without Buddy Parker. George Allen takes credit for it, but it was Buddy Parker. Uh, we would not have two minute offense if it wasn't for Buddy Parker. You know, the situational football wouldn't have been there with Buddy Parker. It's the same thing with what I write about with Coriel. It's interesting. Coriel's 41st on win list. Buddy Parker's 42nd. It's the same thing I write about. You know, if you're not if you're not uh, understanding how this game evolved, it's really not fair. I, I mean, George Allen got in because he had an incredible winning percentage, 71% wins. He went to one suit. He only coached 12 years. He only coached 12 years. Hmm. You know, which is he I'm not saying he doesn't belong in, but poor George Seifert coached 11 years, has a 64 percent winning percentage, won two championships, and he doesn't even come up for a ballot. Yeah, and I think Buddy Parker is up for ballot this year. He got it, well, I think he's I think he's got to get voted in, but I think he was the one guy from the uh, he's the one guy from the. Uh, the old timers or what do they call that? The, you know, that, that, that's being represented. He got pushed in front of them. Yeah. And that's, that's just recently within the last couple yeah. of weeks. I think I, that this, just this summer, up. this summer. Yeah. At the hall of fame. So uh, you were a prognosticator here writing a book uh, about, it, I'm sure before that, to yeah. help well, he deserved to be in long ago. You know, it's like, it's unfair that he's in there, you know? And, and again, I'm not trying to take anyone out of the hall. I'm not. That, that this book is not a, 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 a trying to say this guy doesn't belong. The only person that I don't believe belongs in the Hall of Fame was in the Hall of Fame is the Washington Redskin owner, George Preston Marshall, because he, he was clearly kept African-American players out of the league from 36. He did not sign a African-American player until the 60s with Bobby Mitchell. And he really hurt the league. And yet we honor him. And I think that's wrong. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people agree with you on that, too. Now, you also talk about 100 players, which it's an extremely difficult thing to do yeah. to limit the when you have thousands to choose from over 100 years in professional football. And maybe we could start off, you know, because I know what a tough job it is to do of, of doing some rankings myself. But maybe if we could start off a couple things that I uh, players that I found surprising that weren't on the list. Or, oh, or, yeah, I, mean, I love it. Okay. And um, maybe you can help explain, you know, the criteria, how people got in. I mean, the first one that sort of jumped out of me is Red Grange. Uh, seemed like, you know, you had a lot of people that were impactful. Maybe they didn't have the greatest stats in the world, but uh, to the NFL, Red Grange uh, was one I, I was surprised. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think I knew, and you know, to me, it was, how do I, how do I get them all in from different eras? And I think right. that became the problem. I, I I thought the one that I really, that I kind of should have put in uh, was Steve Van Buren. I think I'm, I, I think he was the one from an era that maybe I, I, I didn't give enough credibility to uh, look red Grange. Uh, nobody's going to argue. He's not a great player. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue that, but I think to me, you know, what I started with was a list of 150, 175 names, and I built a draft board based on it, you know, and that's kind of, and I had it, and, and I knew 100 was going to be Kenny Washington, not because he was a Hall of Fame player, but he was a Hall of Fame person, and we would not have football in the NFL in Los Angeles if it wasn't for Kenny Washington, so I wanted to make a statement with him, but I, I think to me that that's that's why I love the fact that you bring this up, because I think what will happen is it brings conversation. 
you know, it brings conversation to the table. And I, and I think we need conversation, right? I think it's important. You know, Van Buren started 83 games. He played in 83 games. He started 64. He was he could run the ball. He was a receiver. He was a runner. He did so many things. But I didn't think he was, even though he led the league in rushing three years in a row, I just didn't – I thought the career it wasn't long enough, but it was dominating enough. And that was my dilemma, you know, and I wanted to put Sterling Sharp in my top 100 who had the same issue. Couple other players. Now these one's a little bit selfish because I'm. I'm going to tell you, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Oh, what Steeler did I miss? Tell me which one Paul, I missed. Paul Malo, I think. I think Paul because he was a game changer, sort of that hybrid linebacker safety, sort of changed the game, changed you know offensive schemes because of what he did. And I that's that's a, that's my selfish one. One that a player I really appreciated and I think was at the top of his game was Marcus Allen and. Maybe that's one that, you know, it's it's a little sketchy. That's, that's borderline. I understand. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think I decided between, as I look at my notes here, it was between Palomala and, and Kenny Houston in my top list. I think okay. that's kind of where I got a little bit, you know, and I went with, with Houston because he played, you know, the, the, the pro bowls, he 13 years in the league, you know, I, look, I, I love Palomar. I think they're all great, but we didn't keep stats on Houston back then, right? We didn't keep that, and it was hard. And, and I think to me, you know, when you go to, you know, I think the deciding factor was Houston went to twelve Pro Bowls, and he went to in his thirteen-year career, you know, in, in the time that he played. So that was the hard one for me to get through. And, and what did he have? Like, I think he had. I'm looking at my. He had forty-nine interceptions, and Palomar had thirty-two. Yeah, I mean, I understand, but he was more the, the hybrid part of it as well. I I, and look, look, you know, the guy that I, I think to me, the guy that I, I hope you enjoyed it since you're a Steeler fan. If you read the the, uh, if you read the Rod Woodson write up, oh, absolutely, and especially putting him in number twenty six, his jersey number. I thought that was yeah. <laughs> that was brilliant. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I and I think he belongs in the top twenty five. I really do. I just couldn't squeeze him in there. I think yeah. he was a unique player. I think yeah. he belonged in the elite category. I don't think people really appreciate how great of a player he was, you know, in terms of the ability to intercept pass. I mean, look at it. He played 15 years. He had 71 interceptions. You know, people might talk about that. Uh, Ronnie Lott, to me, was, was, was a, you know, unbelievable. What's that 12 touchdowns, too? He's a yeah. four-down player. And, and a returner, yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. He's yeah, a four-down yeah. player, you know? Yeah. Woodson has a Woodson had 11 and and you know and his impact was felt but I really feel like Rod I, I hope I did Rod well in terms of that because I think he really is something special yeah looking at the players you had ahead of him I don't have any gripe with yeah. where you had Woodson I'm glad you had him on there but a couple of players that you had in the top five that you had personal experience you saw them play you dealt with them on a day-to-day basis, you know, these are the two goats, you know, that everybody considers. And that is with Tom Brady and with um, uh, Jerry Rice. I, th- I thought those, uh, I'd like yeah, to hear- I, I mean, I look, Jerry could have been higher too. I know people in San Francisco give me crap for not having him higher. I mean, there was nobody like Jerry. There, Jerry was an incredibly conditioned athlete. His hands were unbelievable. Um, and Brady's competitive stamina, his will to win, and his – I mean, look, he left the game still playing at a high level. I mean, think about that, you know. And, you know, and the other guys in the top, I mean, Ronnie Lott, to me, 
was if I had to say who was your favorite player of all time, I would say Ronnie Lott. Because he was he was truly the the driving force between the dynasties. Montana was an incredible player, an incredible competitor. Ronnie Lott was the the engine that drove the machine. Nobody was going to back, nobody was going to have to deal with Ronnie. Ronnie was going to run the team. And Ronnie was mean. He was great. He was instinctive. He had all the things you want. He played corner. He was selfless. I mean, it just, you know, and so it was hard. It, it, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I, I I idolized Ronnie. I don't think I put him high enough. Well, I think that everybody that's a football fan idolizes him because anybody that can hit like he did and you know lose part of a finger in a game and come back in the game—that's a player there. You don't—that's somebody you got to give yeah. respect to. Uh, Michael, if you could go ahead again and let's uh, give the title of your book. Title is "Football Done Right." You can buy it at any one of your favorite bookstores online. I'm sure it's in every bookstore wherever you buy books in Erie, Pennsylvania, or anywhere. Uh, and it's also available on Audible, and it's available on the Kindle, so you can get it everywhere. It just came out last, uh, came out a week ago, so it's been out about a week, ten days, maybe yeah, a week ago. This it came out September the fifth, so it's been out about a week. And I, I, I hope everybody will take a walk down memory lane with me and enjoy it. Yeah, it's a it's a great book, great perspective, and you did an excellent job on it. I didn't mean to throw those players at you to to flush out. Oh, I love this, Darren. That's the, the conversation. When you write a book like this, you're going to get people that are going to ask you. And you know, I, I I've done a lot of radio interviews for this, and people in Philly, you only had one eagle on the list. Well, okay, who did I miss? Well, you should have had Brian Dawkins on the list. Okay, Brian Dawkins, a good player, played 15 years in the league. You know, I mean, kept a lot of stats. You know, we we did, but he had 37 interceptions. You know, Kenny Houston played, you know, is different than him. So, like, I don't know what to tell you. You know, they had 37 interceptions, and they threw the ball more in his era than they threw it when Kenny Houston was playing, and he had 49. Yeah, that's that's true. It's true. Well, Michael, I know you, you got to go. You got a lot of things going on here. We're on a football night and uh, you got a lot of stuff happening. And But we appreciate the time you took with us and we appreciate you preserving the football history in this great book. So thank you. Thank you. Let me know uh, I'll, Let me know when this goes up, Darren, and I'll, I'll certainly put it on my, uh, on my uh, social media channels and promote it. I absolutely will. Thank you. Thank you. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.